As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Jorginho out there to take them today so the spot kick duty falls to Mason Mount and he's taken it one up it's the first penalty scored by Mason Mount in his career the last one I took I missed in the shootout against Tottenham so I was very confident in putting that right wanted to step up and score this is straight out of Cobham the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic on this week's episode, stuttering at St Mary's, TT and CHO's bromance proved short-lived. I was not happy with his body language uh, and I was not happy with his attitude against the ball. When we had ball losses, I had the feeling that he's not ready and cannot give the energy that I wanted to have from him. So it was a hard decision today on him. Tomorrow is forgotten. There's the lowdown on Atletico Madrid, a preview of Sunday's game with Manchester United, your questions answered and more. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Hey listener, Matt Davis-Adams here to guide you through another week in the life of Chelsea Football Club. I'm joined by two of The Athletic's Chelsea specialists. Liam Toomey's away this week, but Simon Johnson is here. Morning, Simon. Hello. And so too, Dominic Fifield. Hi, Dom. Good morning, Matt. Uh, let's get to Southampton then. So on Saturday, Chelsea's five-match winning run came to an end on the south coast as the Blues were held to a one-all draw by Southampton. Chelsea had 71% possession and more than twice the number of shots on goal than their opponents, but that familiar bluntness in attack meant Mason Mount's penalty was the only goal the Blues mustered. Uh, Simon, you were covering this game for the Athletic. Thoughts on the performance as a whole? Twitter went into meltdown. I mean, it's not the end of the world, is it? One bad game? No, I, I understand some of the frustrations, though, because it's kind of more the same in terms of the way the team's performing overall, particularly in the final third. And it's almost like for Thomas Tuchel, his his patience snapped as well because he was chuntering away at a very early stage of that game because it was the same old issues of, yeah, being very neat and pretty in possession until they got to the, the penalty area. And the amount of times that a careless final ball, cross, touch, was evident, was the main reason why Chelsea didn't win that game. They, they they got themselves into so many good positions. So whilst the stats don't show that 
that there were shots being peppered on Southampton's goal. That that doesn't really represent the game itself, that Chelsea were in many promising situations and didn't make the most of them. And then, of course, there was the the very sort of poor goal that they conceded, a complete lapse of concentration. Perhaps Chelsea, a few few weeks ago, wouldn't have come back to get a point. So in in that way, it's a positive. But with the fixtures coming up, it was very much two points dropped, I thought. Yeah, particularly first half, Dom. Southampton looked so lacking in confidence. There was this weird sort of half press that they were doing, which Chelsea should have been able to to beat fairly easily. It was such a shock that they went in a goal down at the break, having played against such meek opponents. Yeah, yes. But you could sort of see the the tone set quite early. I, th- I think it was Tammy Abraham who, who played the ball out of play uh, when when there was a there was a pass onto down the right um, for a promising Chelsea attack very, very early on. Um, but that was a sort of recurring theme for most of the afternoon, to be honest. And I agree with Sai. It was just, you, you could almost sense that it was going to be one of those days. And, and it, Southampton were there for the taking. They, they were vulnerable. They were fragile. They, they'd had such a miserable recent run, the six successive defeats. And it should have been something that Chelsea took advantage of. But, but the reality is that... I, I don't think we can get. I don't think we can overreact too much on it. I, I still think, as much as we'd like Thomas Tuchel to have an instant impact and to be transformative overnight, the reality is that any new head coach coming in and assessing his players and making changes from game to game, looking at balance, looking at uh, who's fit, who, who's confident, who's who's fresh and available, there's going to be an element of hit and miss. I mean, it's just the reality of it to be honest and um he's he's been pitched in at, at a time when when there are games on top of Chelsea every every few days and and for them to have one stuttering performance well well for, no actually that's not fair because i think a lot of their performances have sort of flattered to deceive a bit but they've had enough to get by in in games um and they they've had the quality to prevail this time they didn't but you know that, that this is all part of the learning process for for Tuchel and it's not a time to sort of fly off the handle and, and judge him and his impact just on the back of one spluttering display at St Mary's. And let's get to some listener questions that have been tweeted in. I want to talk about Callum Hudson, Nadoy and Tammy Abraham to start. They were the focus of Simon's post-match piece for The Athletic. Uh, Jenny asks, why did Abraham get the start ahead of Giroud? He's still recovering from injury. Could he use that time while Ollie is in form and loves a goal versus the Saints. What do you think, Simon? Did, did Tuchel maybe feel like Tammy didn't get a full audition against Newcastle and, and wanted to see him again? It did feel like a bit of a strange pick, given that he had what looked like a fairly serious injury on Monday. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise, for sure. And, and the fact that Tammy uh, recovered that quickly, because it didn't look good. But then I also thought perhaps this is a clue that's been given for Atletico Madrid that Giroud is very much the one that's in mind to start. And that, that's the guy that I've gone for to start up front. I think Chelsea are going to need to someone, a striker up there that can hold the ball up. Something that Tammy Abraham didn't do in any stretch of imagination on Saturday. The decision to, to replace Hudson Adoy overshadowed what happened to Tammy Abraham. That's the second time that he's been hauled off at half-time by Tuchel. He, he's, he's clearly not doing enough. Um, and he didn't do enough. I mean, his touch map, uh, which I used in the piece, is, it's, it makes for grim viewing. Now, maybe the ankle injury was a factor in that, but 
Tammy Abraham has to do more to win this guy over. There's a reason why Chelsea are not saying they're going to sign him, but there's a reason why they're going after someone like Haaland because they see that as an area they need to improve on to become one of the big boys, a genuine big boy again. And uh, yeah, it was a poor performance from Tammy on Saturday. I think he's running out of chances, Dom. We've mentioned the Haaland links. We've been speaking about those over the, the last few weeks. It, Chelsea need an elite striker. You, you kind of wonder if Tammy's ever going to be that and if Chelsea have got time to wait around for him to turn into it maybe more more pertinently. There is an impatience there, isn't there? I mean, there's an impatience at the club, but there's an impatience amongst the fan base as well, or certain parts of the fan base anyway. Well, I mean, likelihood is Olivier Giroud leaves in the summer. It's not as if Chelsea would just go into a... Premier League season with one first choice number nine, even if they signed Haaland, they'd want somebody else to compete with him for a place, given the number of games they'll be playing. So I'd be surprised if, if they allowed Abraham to leave. Actually, to be honest, the other the other factor in that is if Chelsea were ever to listen to offers for Abraham, given Marina Granovskaya's negotiating skills, you're probably talking a very, very, very significant fee for him. And you know his potential suitors out there might look at his goal record and think, well, is he really worth 50, 60 million pounds, to be honest, at this stage? So I think he does have a future at Chelsea and I think he will play a role. But but yeah, he's still got a lot of learning to do. And maybe, we're, again, we're foistering too much expectation on a, on a player who's, who's effectively got, you know, one season, one full season at Chelsea in the first team under his belt. OK, he's been in the Premier League before with Swansea on loan and done well in the Championship, but... But he's still learning his craft, um, and a level of a level of patience is probably advisable on that. So that's Tammy. Andrew, meanwhile, wants to know how do we think Callum will react to being subbed as a sub? Um, it, it was like he was being put on the naughty step in front of the world, basically. Simon, wasn't it? He's, he's been teacher's pet for these first few games, but that patience from Thomas Tuchel ran out on Saturday. Yeah, I I don't know whether it's a sort of go off on on Callum or on Tuchel on this one. Do both. Go on, I'll, do it. Yeah, I'm going to start with Tuchel, actually. I I think that was a bit of a cop-out uh, to pick on the two. Uh, as much as I've just had a pop at Tammy in his first half performance, he, he's essentially made his statement. He sent a, a message to the dressing room out, which I've got no problem uh, at all with, actually, to sort of send that kind of, look, this is my standard, and if you fall short of it, um, this is what can happen to you. But he's gone after the two academy boys, I think it's a very easy decision to go for two guys that, let's just say, aren't going to be as much trouble as perhaps two sort of players that are worth a few bob. And there are a number of players that didn't turn up on Saturday. And it should be pointed out that Hudson-Odoi, when he was on the pitch, not saying he was great by any means, but Chelsea scored their goal uh, when he was on the pitch. He actually provided the pass to Mason Mount, which led to the penalty. I just thought, and it's particularly the post-match justification for the decision where he's talking about, well, Callum Hudson-Doy, you know, I want players at 100%, you can't drop to 99%. And I'm sort of listening to it going, well, hang on, this should apply to everybody. And if you apply that to everybody, then there were a lot of players on Saturday that were certainly not 100%. And then yet he reeled off the names saying, yeah, they were good, they were good, they were good. One of which was Kurt Zuma. And I'm sort of going, well, hang on a minute. He was at fault, or certainly a large large part to blame for the goal that Southampton scored. I mean, where was he? There was a ball played right through the middle where he should be. For some reason, he's running after Tony Rudiger. <laughs> he's going, well, 
that doesn't make any sense. So that's my rant. I just sort of felt it was a bit, it was just a bit too easy to go after the two youngsters. And, and Hudson Adoy, I didn't think was that bad. I thought, and, and what was worse was, is also if you're going to make a decision in a big call like that, is then Chelsea have to be better. They have to improve. And Ziyech came on and was worse. And Chelsea were a lot worse. The subs didn't work. Jorginho came on. That didn't work either. And and Chelsea, from, from being in a position where they perhaps looked like they might be able to win the game, I thought they actually they ended up sort of the game being sort of petering out into a one draw. To play devil's advocate slightly, Dom, I thought that... The quotes about Callum's body language were interesting because you think if you play him right there in front of your manager and you come off the bench, you want to look as though you're interested in, and that is something that maybe he's been accused of in the past. And also maybe he thinks, well, Hudson Adoy is somebody who I've given a lot of chances to and is clearly a big part of my plan. So, you know, he could well start on Tuesday night and then and then the whole thing's sort of swept under the carpet. I don't know about the body language. Um He's he's probably still getting to know Callum, and for for all that he's picked him a, a few times. I mean, if if Callum has on the door, his body language is always like that. Then then he's going to have to to learn to accept that because I don't think that's going to I don't think Callum's going to be changing on, on that front. I think it's actually I, mean, I don't think it's great man management. If I'm honest, I think it is a bit basic. But if you are going to choose to criticise a player publicly, then Actually, there's probably a logic in going for the for the player who has set very very good standards over the, the first five six matches of his of his tenure, because then you really are sending out a message that nobody is uh, safe from criticism within the group. If he'd launched into one of the players that that cost Chelsea an awful lot of money and had maybe been underperforming in the previous regime, then I think it just would have been confirmation of everything that that everybody suspected before. Callum Hudson Adoy is a favourite. He knows he's a favourite. He knows that the supporters love him. It's not as I know he hasn't been in the ground when the supporters have been there, but it's it's obvious that that, that Chelsea Chelsea fans count their academy graduates as as their own. They they, they are the favourites. So short of launching a two footed attack on um, Mason Mount, Callum Hudson Adoy was the one to probably to go for if you want to make maximum impact. Um, I, I don't think it was good man management because I think it basically showed up that he'd made the wrong team selection originally and I thought Chelsea got worse once he'd substituted the substitute. Ziyech didn't have an impact at, at all so I don't think Tuchel comes out of it with an awful lot of credit but then that is again all part of the, the learning process with him. He's still getting to know these players and the one the one thing I should say is that I mean he's not Tuchel isn't the first manager to call out a player in public. I mean Chelsea managers have done that. Mourinho used to do that, but he he also used to take the player that he was about to go and criticise to one side and say, "Look, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and tell the press that you're hopeless and and that you know you've got to buck your ideas up, etc." But the reality is, you know, you've still got my faith and and I'm still with you and I still believe in you etc and it and it worked generally speaking in certainly in this first spell it, it it players ended up playing with a lot more belief maybe that's what Thomas Tuchel has done with Callum Hudson-Odoi I, I don't know um that that might maybe part of a of a plan and and this is uh he'll go into the Atletico Madrid match in midweek and and uh and, and tear it up because he'll he'll know he's got his manager's confidence I was about to jump in at the start, actually, and say, me and Dom disagreeing again. <laughs> it's like a weekly theme. That's um, why we're all here. Do you still work here? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but um, 
No, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, Dom, Dom actually does, does make a fair counter-argument. What I would also say is, for example, Kovacic, who he did bring, was the other sub, or player to be subbed. I thought, by his recent standards, um, he'd really dropped significantly and had a poor game, but there was no mention of that. I just think the balance was off, that that he went for two youngsters rather than cover the whole team, who he, he, he quite... There was enough evidence there to name quite a few players that, that had a poor game. But yeah, it's not all doom and gloom at all for Hudson-Odoi. It has to be said, I mean, he's he's played in every game since Tuchel arrived. Tuchel also wanted to sign him when he was uh, manager of PSG. And he did talk post-match saying, yes, we, we've talked it out already. And I wouldn't be surprised if he plays against Atletico Madrid. You know, I can sort of seeing it being the kind of uh, motivational tool. But I, I just think if you're going to go down that road, the ultimate humiliation of subbing a sub then I think there needs to be more justification for it than, than what I saw on Saturday. Uh, final question related to Southampton, which puts a nice bow on this uh, part of the conversation. It's from at Lampard Late Run. They want to know, have Chelsea actually improved at all so far under Tuchel? I think it was right for Frank to go, but all the games Chelsea have won under Tuchel so far were expected. We haven't looked convincing for 90 minutes in any of them. What do you think, Dom? I, I think there's definite signs of improvement. There's just one specific area of the pitch, i.e. putting the ball in the net, which is perhaps not, not working as well as it should do. But other than that, there looks to be much more of a coherent plan, hmm. at least. Structure definitely appears to be in place now. And that that is that is an improvement on, on, on what Lampard's tenure had become. I mean, over that six, eight, seven week period where everything unravelled and, and uh, the indecision sort of gripped. But, you know... The, the correspondent is 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 right. It's we should probably judge it, judge it once he's faced some properly tough fixtures, and and this run of games now will provide a proper test as to the progress he's made. I, I'm not saying that he's. I I didn't expect Thomas Tuchel to radically change things overnight at Chelsea. I think that's unrealistic for anyone to expect. Really, I mean, I, I, there may be an instant upturn, as there often is when there's a change of, of manager or head coach. But I think if if your players are at a certain level or they're at a certain stage in their development, eventually you'll probably run into the similar sort of problems that your predecessor had if the, the players are the same. But you know, this is a process. It's it's already geared up towards towards next season and what happens then. Um, and and he is learning. He's learning with each each fixture, each run out. And, um, you know, we're seeing different sides to him as well. We hadn't seen him really, you know, call out any of his own previously, really. Um, it's all been fairly positive up to now. And that was a probably a sign of the frustration of um, a missed opportunity at St Mary's. But let's see how he is in a week's time. I guess the key point, Simon, is do Chelsea look more like finishing in the top four now under Thomas Tuchel than they did under Frank Lampard? And the answer to that is probably yes. Oh, for sure. I mean, the one look at the league table says that. Um, they're still in a, a good position. I, I, I don't like this sort of easy dismissal of oh, the fixture list. Oh, it's been an easy lot of fixtures. Well, the fixture list didn't look too easy when Chelsea were losing every week uh, before the change of manager was made. Um, there was no easy games at that point because things had unravelled so spectacularly. And I really don't think, and this is no diss on Frank Lampard as, as a coach but I think things have gone so gone so far that the atmosphere was so so down 
that that's the big reason why a change was made because I, I don't think that the circumstances were there for Lampard to get the kind of results that Tuchel's achieved. Now, we only find out in the long term whether the decision was right. You know, and we're not talking just this season, we're talking next season as well. I think it's far too early to be sort of sitting there going, I'm, I'm not seeing enough improvement yet. The guy's not had the training sessions that he will want to really um, inject his ideas into this squad. Um, I think pre-season will be massive for him. And at the moment, this the second half of the season, it's all about him just trying to get in the top four. Next season is when we can really judge how good a manager Tuchel is. Well, Chelsea switched their focus to the Champions League as they prepare to take on Atletico Madrid this week. We'll get the lowdown on the La Liga leaders next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Well, joining us now to preview Tuesday's Champions League tie with Atletico Madrid from TalkSport International and the Totally Football Show European edition, it's Spanish football expert Alvaro Romeo. Um, Alvaro, what's the view in Madrid on this tie? Is it, is it seen as a good draw for Atleti? Uh, no, I don't think that uh, anybody will say that this is a good draw for Atleti because Chelsea is Chelsea and at the same time uh, we have seen Chelsea beating Spanish teams uh, all over the years and I do believe that Atletico de Madrid still has press in their memory that they came out of the group stage in 2017 uh, in a group with Rome and uh, Chelsea, so no, this is not... Uh, easy at all for Atletico and Chelsea is not regarded uh, like a bad team. But I can say as well that uh, when the draw was made on the 14th of December, there was a feeling that Chelsea was uh, going to through a really rough period. And in fact, they were because they sacked the manager about a month later. Whereas Atletico de Madrid were superb at that stage of the season. I'm talking about mid-December. But Ever since then, Atletico has lost a lot of uh, solidity at the back and uh, there are doubts for Simeone's uh, side at the minute. I don't think that Atletico can face the game against Chelsea feeling that they are favourites. Yeah, especially after that shock defeat to Levante at the weekend, I suppose. So that means the confidence may be not as high as it was a couple of months ago, like you say. Yes, exactly. Uh, against Levante, uh, Simeone, uh, after the game, was kind of happy despite the defeat because uh, he thought that the team played well. They shot 11 times on target. The goalkeeper of Levante, Cárdenas, was excellent, uh, denying uh, Joe Felix three times. So I think that, you know, there are few positives to take uh, from that game. But uh, even if uh, Atletico attacked reasonably well against Levante, you have to wonder why they... They conceded two goals and you have to wonder why by mid-December they have conceded only four goals in the league and since mid-December they have conceded 12. I mean, the team is a bit more leaky defensively. Um, the injured players are um, 
obviously becoming a massive burden for Atletico de Madrid to the point that uh, there are three very sensitive uh, casualties at the back for Atletico for this game uh, against Chelsea. Uh, Carrasco on the left won't be playing. He's not in the match day squad. Um, Kieran Trippier uh, is still suspended. Versalico, the guy who could deputize for Trippier, is not playing this game because he's out of the match day squad. And Jimenez is out in your two. So these are three very sensitive uh, casualties in the defense. And uh, they affect Atletico's game dramatically because uh, Llorente, who is the best attacking midfielder Atletico has, has to play as a fullback. And that... Uh, undermines Atletico de Madrid. Uh, suddenly they lose uh, a lot of energy in the midfield. And I think that, yes, uh, they are going to miss these three players I told you about. Uh, so let's see how they do. Um, at the same time, there is no home factor in here because the game will be played in Romania. And uh, I do believe that those things obviously will affect Atletico a little bit, of course. You mentioned the players who are missing at the back. At, up front, though, Luis Suarez, Phenomenal since his arrival domestically. Not really happened for him in the Champions League, though, yet, has it? He's a player that, that Chelsea know well, and I'm sure he'll be keen to get his uh, get his shooting boots on in, in European competition, where he hasn't found the net yet this season. I think Branislav Ivanovic is insinuating here that Luis Suarez bit him. And Suarez does. He does exactly that. That is quite incredible and pretty disgusting. You know, in that whole incident, I think Branislav Ivanovic showed admirable restraint. I think that uh, Luis Suarez will be <laughs> very happy to score against Chelsea too. So I, I think that uh, with Suarez the whole season, um, there has been a metamorphosis in Atletico de Madrid because Simeone at the beginning of the season said that uh, Luis Suarez obliges the team to play in a certain way. He said literally that Luis Suarez obliges us to supply him in the sense that if you disconnect him from the game or if you are too far away from the opponent's box, uh, Luis Suarez doesn't have an impact. So Atletico has changed their game for Luis Suarez and now it's time for Luis Suarez to deliver. Um, in the league, he's been doing very well. I mean, he has scored very important goals, but in the Champions League, he hasn't scored a goal for Atletico de Madrid yet. So this is the time for him to step up. And uh, I do believe that he's going to be ultra motivated. I mean, Luis Suarez right now, he's the focal point at Atletico de Madrid and he's taking some responsibilities that I have completely forgotten. Do you remember that at Liverpool, he was taking free kicks? Well, at Atletico de Madrid, he's doing that again uh, because at Barcelona, he couldn't do it for six or seven years. So, yeah, he's going to take many shots against Chelsea. I can expect Luis Suarez at least doing that. Scoring or not, that's another story. Yeah, and his, his struggles in the Champions League kind of reflective of Atletico's in the group stage. Only won twice, runners-up to Bayern. It, it didn't look that difficult, a group Bayern aside. It, do you know why they struggled so much in it? I think that the problem with Atletico de Madrid in the group stage is that they didn't win the winnable games. And I do believe that they drew at home against Lokomotiv Moscow. And that meant that they, after that draw, they had a very steep mountain to climb. At the same time, they played against Salzburg, uh, who are still like uh, not European royalty, but definitely a good European team. And uh, yeah, the, that group was a little bit tricky to the point that uh, in the fifth game of the group and definitely in the last game of the group, you have the feeling that Atletico could still screw up and that would have been a, ma a massive blow. So yeah, uh, they were far for, from convincing in the group stage. But then I think that they, they got their act together in the last game against Salzburg, they managed to get the victory in Austria, and the rest is history. I think that now they can face the Champions League with a fresh face, uh, knowing that Chelsea is uh, probably a better team now than they were back in December.
Finally then, if Atleti were to win the Champions League this season, do you think that might be enough for, for Simeone to, to finally call it a day and, and look for a, for a new challenge? And, and what's the priority this season, the Champions League or La Liga? I think the priority is La Liga because uh, there, is a, there is a reasonable, reasonable belief in Atletico's camp that this season is the right season because Real Madrid and Barcelona are definitely underperforming. Of course, the latest results in La Liga oblige Atletico de Madrid to get their act together again and try to get back to their best level. So yeah, I think that the priority will be La Liga and get as far as possible in the Champions League just for financial reasons without having the obligation to win it because I think that the obligation to win the Champions League must be on uh, clubs of the caliber of Manchester City, Bayern or maybe Liverpool. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that could be more or less the target for the season. And when it comes to Simeone, well, he's always vague about his future. Um, he is going to continue probably at Atletico de Madrid for one more season, no matter what happens, uh, because this project is his and uh, because he, he's got uh, all the help from the club. I mean, he has never been under any questioning. He's the best paid manager in La Liga. And I think that he's the second best paid person in La Liga after Lionel Messi, that tells you a lot. So yeah, I mean, he, he's in a perfect place to be, really. So I don't think that Simeone will think about departing, uh, winning La Liga or not, or winning the Champions League or not. Brilliant. Alvaro, thank you so much. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Alvaro Romeo there. Catch him every Tuesday on the Totally Football Show European Edition. By the way, Athletic subscribers can read Liam and Simon's debate on who should start for Chelsea on Tuesday and in what formation. That is up on the site now. OK, next today, we'll turn our attention back to domestic matters. Manchester United visits Stamford Bridge on Sunday with the Blues looking to snap a poor recent home run against the Red Devils who've won on each of their last three visits to the bridge. Uh, United six points clear of Chelsea after the weekend's action. Don, we spoke about this fixture list now, providing a true test, etc. and so on. It's a massive game, this isn't it? A win for either side would be hugely significant. Yes, it's one that Chelsea in particular need to win, I think, just to re, you know put a bit more... Um momentum into their pursuit of the, the top four um, not least because West Ham appear to have gatecrashed the party at the moment which is which is weird but there you go um, and uh, brilliant for David Moyes that should be, should be added um, United away from home still unbeaten however some of their performances lately have, have veered from um, the sublime to the ridiculous to be honest I mean even you know during 0-0 at Arsenal during 1-1 at West Brom, both games that they would have thought they would have won, um, they've, they've, they've managed that, that helter-skelter and farcical 3-3 draw at home to Everton as well. Um, and they weren't entirely convincing, I don't think, against Newcastle at the weekend on Sunday evening. So Chelsea have to be more ruthless. They have to take the chances they create. They have to be solid at the back. I don't have too many fears on that front. But they really need to take the chances. They really need to take those opportunities because they need United coming at them so that Chelsea can hit them on the break as opposed to the other way around. I think, Simon, you can apply this to most teams in world football at the moment, but United in particular look a little bit leggy to me. How significant, therefore, that, that Chelsea will have 48 hours extra rest for this game? You know, we, we expect United will make lots of changes for the second leg of their Europa League tie against Sociedad being 4-0 up, but... Still, there will be some players who will play in that game and play on Sunday. Might give Chelsea a bit of an edge. 
Well, I, I like you looking for reasons to, to be positive there, Matt. That's, that's good. <laughs> I, I think it's probably more that Chelsea playing Tuesday night is is a positive in, in that, that you know they get their game done and the you know with the travel etc. Because um, that can have a, a, an impact. So yeah, the fact that playing Tuesday night rather than Wednesday night, I, I think is more to do with it. I, I, I don't look at United playing Thursday as you know against opposition they've basically thumped and they're already through to the next round I, I don't see that as being too I'll be amazed for example Bruno Fernandes is playing in that game and and he's the he's the X factor He he's the one that Chelsea have to worry about whether it's from sort of outside the box or him taking a penalty um, he, he's just a, a massive strong contender for player of the year and and perhaps is an example of what's the difference between these two clubs. I don't think United have particularly played much better than Chelsea this season, if we're talking generally. There have been an awful lot of games where United have been very unimpressive, but they have this guy that can either provide the assist, the goal or the penalty to, to win them the game. And if United do finish above Chelsea in the table, which at the moment you'd probably tip them to do so, it's basically down to one man rather than United as a football club and, and what Solskjaer has done as a coach. On Solskjaer, Dom, if we did a percentage split, what, what proportion of Chelsea supporters do you think would be envious that United stuck by their club legend turned coach when, when things got a bit sticky? Do you think that that's even a factor or, or was the majority of opinion, oh, it's time to make a change? And, and, and Chelsea obviously more accepting of that as a supporter base than Manchester United because it's such a, a frequent occurrence, I guess. It's a good question. And I suspect it would it would reveal the... The splits in the fan base that we've discussed before, uh, you know, those who were preaching patience with with Frank Lampard, yeah, they they will pine for the club giving an opportunity to a to an icon, a talismanic figure within the setup, um, and, and getting an opportunity. Because let's be honest, the progress on the social, which I think has it has happened this season, they, I mean, they've obviously made strides. The fact that they're in the Premier League's top two is evidence of that, but. But it's been accompanied by as many setbacks. I mean, their humiliation in the in the Champions League group stage was staggering, considering what they did at the start of that that campaign. You know, and this is still a team that is, well, it, it can dazzle. It it can play teams off the park. It can also lose two one at home to Sheffield United. I mean, it's it's bizarre in that front. But, but yeah, I mean, look, it, very different club mentalities. I was talking to somebody who works closely with Manchester United. And I was talking to him about the Lampard situation during the last week or so of, of his his stint at Chelsea and um, the sort of issue of Solskjaer and Lampard, the comparison cropped up and it literally was never the case that Solskjaer was going to lose his job at United and, and that the hierarchy there were apparently looking at it, looking at the Lampard situation and thinking, by the they're, they're actually going to sack him. They're actually going to sack him. I mean, there's, there's no way that we do that. So we are talking chalk and cheese in terms of the approach from the clubs, from the hierarchies, from the top levels at the clubs. So, I mean, it is it is what it is and Chelsea have gone their way um, and United have gone theirs and you know, the time to judge will again, and sorry to throw this all forward, but in a year's time, if Tuchel is leading Chelsea to Premier League titles, which which I think would be a, a push, but if, if he is, then, then that would be evidence as to why that change was made and justify it. But then if, if United are doing likewise, then the faith that they've showed in Solskjaer would be just as, uh, just as strong. 
that contrasting approach, Simon, I think is what makes this rivalry such an attractive one for, for neutral supporters. They're, they're two clubs that, that are always competing in similar positions in the table and for similar prizes domestically and, and in European football. But their approach to how they, they run their football clubs is markedly different in a number of ways. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, I, I would sort of highlight the there's been a bit of a turnaround of of managers since Ferguson left. It's there's been you know David Moyes will be quickly piping up and saying, well, they didn't give me much time, um, and look at the job he's doing at West Ham. Um, he'd be in a manager of the season. I'm, I'm continuing a theme here. He's a manager of the season nominee for sure. Um, but yeah, United, it seems to me they're a bit more reluctant. What I would agree with you is that I think they're a bit more reluctant to to make a change than Chelsea are. Chelsea are kind of, as soon as top four is put at risk, they get jittery. But then you have to look at the standards that Chelsea have set since Abramovich has, has taken over. They are the most successful club in English football. Um, they've won the most trophies and they feel that the hiring and firing works. Um, my counter argument to that is, yes, it does, but it's not working as well as it used to. Because look look at the amount of title challenges they've um, been able to lodge over the last six years. It's been won. Okay, it was a successful one. But that indicates a decline. The fact that Atletico Madrid brings back memories of their last semi-final appearance in the Champions League in 2014, a competition they used to reach in the last four on an annual basis, and yet it's been seven years since their last appearance. So the hiring and firing, yes, they may have been able to pick up the odd Europa League, FA Cup over the last seven years, six years, as well as that one league title. But I, I think there are bigger issues at play and the quality of the squad has declined and the manager has been the one that's been bearing the brunt for that uh, when actual, perhaps the fingers should also be pointing at elsewhere in the club. I mentioned that, that Chelsea's recent record at the bridge in the Premier League against Manchester United is not good. A quiz question then to finish. Who was the last player to score a winning goal for Chelsea against United at Stamford Bridge in the Premier League? Anybody know? It's not Angolo, is it? No, good shout. One later than that. No longer at the club. Baffling list of clubs Morata. on his CV. Yeah. <laughs> Alvaro Morata, 1 0, November 2017. Isn't it weird that he played for Chelsea? It just seems like a fever dream. <laughs> Did he? It? it was a great it was a great header. That's been a quitter. And he goes, Chelsea header! Goal! Alvaro Morata! And it was coming for Chelsea! Beautifully found! Ecstasy at the bridge! Chelsea won! Manchester United nil. <laughs> yeah. And and um who who had this remarkable sort of ability to play well in big games, big results, but the rest of the season he was rubbish. And um <laughs> and in fact the, I think Chelsea put out a um a reminder of the of the last game at uh, Atletico when of course Chelsea became the first team um to win at the Wanda Metropolitano. And and there there they are. There's Morata, of course, scores the scores the first goal, and then Bakayoko's in shot, and I'm just like, oh. In fact, that was the night the Bakayoko chant was being sung by the away fans. That he never gives the ball away. Uh, <laughs> a bit premature, as it turned out. Nishi's finest moment as a Chelsea player, other than yeah, winning the title, yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, that Manchester United game, by the way, is a 4:30 kickoff UK time on Sunday. We'll react to it in next week's pod. 
Elsewhere in Chelsea news, no game for the women's team this past weekend. They're on international break. They returned to action with the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie, coincidentally also against Atletico Madrid. Uh, the first leg of that takes place on Wednesday, the 3rd of March at Kings Meadow. The return leg provisionally booked in for a week later. And meanwhile, the men's under-23 side slipped to a fifth league defeat of the season. They went down 3-2 at home to Liverpool. Their next game is at Leicester this Friday. You can watch that live with me via Chelsea's social platforms. A defeat also for the under-18s. They lost 2-1 at home to Reading. And to complete a hat-trick of bad news for the academy sides, the under-19s hopes of winning the UEFA Youth League for the third time are over. This season's tournament has been cancelled because of the pandemic. Uh, that's just about it for this week's episode. Before we go, let's see what the chaps have on their agenda for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Simon, I teased that piece with you and Liam debating the lineup for Tuesday night. Fill us in a bit more. Oh, it was another exercise where me and Liam got on the phone and disagreed with each other. You know, it's just, <laughs> just like me and Dom do on the podcast. Uh, uh, I am actually, you know, an agreeable chap, but when it comes to Chelsea, I just. <laughs> Seem to spike these ones. But yeah, no, yes, we had a, a light-hearted conversation about the teams we, we'd go for against Atletico Madrid. By all means, uh, readers, listeners, join in in the debate. Give us the teams that you'd go with. The formation is is one where we disagreed on. I, I decided to mix it up a bit. This three at the back, malarkey. Yeah, let, let's do away with that. Let's go 4-1-4-1, as we saw in that superb second-half display at Barnsley. I think that would put the fear of uh, into Atletico Madrid for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what I've gone with. Uh, as for the rest of the week, uh, of course, I'm, I'm covering the match, so I'll be doing a piece looking very closely at the team. Um, and then later in the week, we are going to be doing another piece, another read, looking at Thomas Tuchel on exactly what he's brought to the club since he uh, arrived. Nice, looking forward to that. Um, Dom, you and Simon teamed up for a piece remembering that, that classic moment in Chelsea history when Ashley Cole shot an intern in the arse with an air gun. <laughs> yeah, we did. It didn't entirely go down that well with our readers. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was um, yeah, 10 years on from uh, air gun gate. It was, I, look, it was, uh, the merits of the story you can, you can argue and, and uh, indeed Simon turned up some some interesting new information on 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 that. Um, I just look back on on the whole incident with a bit of a smile and remember the the, the first press conference afterwards, which was actually to preview a Manchester United game, um, appropriately enough, uh, the day after publication and and the rather surreal atmosphere around the place in a in a jam packed room um, as as one of the the press asked Carlo Ancelotti whether just for clarity whether guns were actually banned now from the training ground. <laughs> That wasn't me, by the way. I didn't ask that question. My mine would probably be on team news. <laughs> An explosive question like that, no pun intended. Uh, remember, if you want to read those pieces, listen, you've only got until February 25th to take advantage of our new subscriber offer where you can get a half-price annual subscription. That's less than a pound a week for an entire year. To redeem that limited time-only offer, go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod. That's theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod. And whilst you're there, if you're enjoying the show, you can give us a review too. Uh, many thanks to Dom and to Simon and to producer Lucy, mainly to you though, listening. We'll be back same time next week. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. The Athletic.